Hello and welcome to the Demographicast. On this week's episode, I spoke to Jack and to Rhiannon, our social media team manager, about loneliness and the anxieties of getting back into dating and using dating apps after such a long period of lockdowns and not being able to meet new people. If you have any uh, thoughts on the topics that were discussed in this episode, please let us know by contacting us on Twitter or on Instagram or however you you would like. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode. So today we uh, wanted to talk about this uh, this graph that we found on Reddit um, about like, I think it's sometime last week that uh, shows a sort of a, a line of that represents men and one that represents women. I realise that it doesn't really it's not particularly representative of, of all genders, but um, it says uh, so. The, the graph is uh, the share of individuals under the age of thirty who report zero opposite sex sexual partners since they turned eighteen, and it shows a pretty steep incline uh, for men and women, but particularly men, um, at between twenty sixteen and twenty eighteen. The graph ends at twenty eighteen, so I don't. It'd be interesting to know how much it's increased since then. Um, but it's saying like 27% of men um, in 2018 were reporting zero opposite sex sexual partners, as opposed to 8% in 2008. So that's a, a 10, uh, well, that's almost 20% increase in 10 years. Why do we think that is? Jack, have you got any thoughts? Have you got any I've got to go first. Yeah, I? why not? <laughs> You're on the spot. Um, I, I don't I don't know uh, specifically why I would say that um, there are obviously like most things an array of different factors um, towards this and it was particularly interesting like you said uh, previously that um, it was only representative of, of men and women I'd be interested to see if there was sort of comprehensive polling done of non-binary people people that you know of, of different genders whether this would be the same so whether this is societal um, it's also attracted to op- or opposite sex sexual partners as well, so it'd be interesting to know what the yeah. uh, difference is for for uh, for yeah uh, homosexual partners or whatever. I think it would look very different mm. if really? it included uh, gay men, gay women, non-binary people. As right? in, you think it'd be lower? No, I I, I think that I think that the number of people who were participating in sex after eighteen would be significantly higher than this graph where it's heterosexual people, right? So whenever queer people like myself grew up, we navigated our sexualities and identities through the internet. That was our kind of marketplace for ideas when it came to self-discovery. And that in part influenced our romantic and sexual relationships too. Like if you think about Grinder, for example, it's a place for young gay or queer men to find sex, find relationships. And I think there's far more um, comfortability in that in queer people than I would say in straight people, perhaps. Would you say that that, that those platforms would there would be more a, a, a more of a success rate to use a for lack of a better term than there would be on say Tinder when it was um, heterosexual people finding sexual partners? I think so. Yeah, I think there's kind of. With Tinder, it's not very clear what it's for, what the purpose of Tinder is, right? Because people use it for all sorts of different reasons. People use it to find friendships. People use it to find romantic partners, long-term relationships, but also to find one-night stands, hookups, whatever. 
with things like Grinder and even like the 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 feminine ver- the female version, which is used to be called her back in my day. Um, there's there's a bit more openness about what you're looking for and people are more willing to have those conversations. I think that makes it easier for people mm. to to initiate those kind of contacts with people. So, yeah. The only one I've really, it's interesting, I think the technology just, you know, on this topic is one of the, the prevailing factors of this and the shift in how we find partners. I think that probably <clears throat> people are going out and, and meet, trying to meet people less in person. I would say particularly men would be more reluctant to look for a partner specifically you know not just somebody to sleep with but a partner um out at a bar or or, you know nightclubs are the the example but do many people fall into relationships from meeting at a nightclub i don't know anybody personally that that has done i know people that have had one night stands from meeting people in, in nightclubs but nobody that's had a sustainable relationship from that so the norm for our generation, I think, has um, become you would meet somebody off of a, a dating app, um, or it's far, far more common than, than previously. And there was some polling that was uh, released fairly recently that we looked at, I think we might have discussed in a previous podcast, that was looking at um, female user habits on Tinder versus male user habits on Tinder. And men swipe right something like 80 to 90% of the time women swipe right less than 5% of the time. <clears throat> so it shows how stark those habits are. Yeah. And when the pull to meet people, to match with people, and then how difficult it can be often for people because of, I would say, maybe lack of social skills or, or awkwardness or anxiety in having those conversations, the chances of you actually meeting somebody or the chances of you actually going on a date are very slim. So if that's your main way of finding a partner it's going to be very difficult for you to do that let alone get to the point where you're going to have sex with that that person as well so i think that the reliance on dating apps for um you know straight couples probably um has has impacted this quite a lot and then you have lots of factors about how technology has impacted us as individuals the way that we connect with each with each other the difficulties that we have forming intimacy um because of technology so i think that they would be the you know the main the main factors for me you mentioned social skills there and i and i i don't know if i necessarily agree with that because there, there is a skill level requirement for taking part in social in social socializing online requires you to be able to speak to people and bring up conversations in a similar way to the outside world right it's far less personal though isn't it yeah i mean yeah true like when people see people like trolling and spreading hate online there is that anonymity but there isn't that anonymity on tinder like you have your face there you yep. have your your personality your bio on there which is why i would say because you're kind of forced to be at least a little bit personal and a little bit open whereas online people form personas online people don't use their real names you have online personalities you know so it's not necessarily it's, it's you of course and i'm not saying that it doesn't take skill i think that the internet has been fantastic for a lot of socialization i think it should supplement real life interaction one-to-one interaction with people i don't think it's, it's a, a replacement um but there are ways in which you can guard against being open and vulnerable online particularly in when we're looking at socializing that you can't if you're uh you're going on a date with somebody and you're sat across a table for two three hours and you're having to have a conversation so i would say that there are differences um, and that, yeah, they, it takes skills, but they're, they're maybe perhaps different. 
on a slight tangent though um why do you think that it's men in particular because like the stereotype that men are more um inclined to be sexually active and more in desire of that than women are it's like the social stereotype of how these gender roles work so why is it that more a 10 percent more men I would say had sex since, since they were 18. They are stereotypes. That's not the norm, I don't think. I um, wonder what you think, Brett. There is that societal pressure on, on men, particularly, I think, or maybe there was when I was growing up that, you know, to be one of the boys, it was part of what you did was you should be able to go out and pull or you should be sexually active or, you know, and, and that oftentimes isn't the case. I know lots of people who haven't had... Um, much sexual interaction in their lives at all and that's not a knock on, on on those individuals i think it's very important that you wait to find somebody that you're comfortable with before you do anything like that because i know lots of people that have had bad sexual interactions um but i don't i think that that is a stereotype and that has that that isn't the way that most people live their lives is that they're going out every weekend and they're shagging about um so i don't think i think that that kind of culture that kind of viewpoint is pretty toxic and pretty pervasive and it embeds itself in people and they feel that pressure but it's not how most people are living mm. i just wanted to bring back uh that's something that was mentioned a minute ago about um sort of like uh your personality not being able to come across online i think that also extends to certain dating apps um because especially like tinder for example because there isn't really an encouragement through those through tinder specifically to show your personality instead it's more of a sort of a game to try and uh put across a persona of yourself that you think will be as attractive as possible so that the next the whoever's you know looking at your profile and generally only basing who, what they um their decision to swipe or not on pictures yeah um is the yeah it, it, i feel i feel like that's probably i think maybe uh, apps like hinge maybe uh encourage it a bit more the sort of the personality aspect but would you be able to explain to people if they haven't used hinge what what the differences would be uh sure so tinder is you set up a profile it's mostly pictures and then you have a section where you can put in a bio but um it, you put anything you want there's no real like prompts to help you fill it out um, put your height. <laughs> yeah, yeah which is common uh but then on hinge uh same thing with like there's pictures but they also then they rather than writing a bio out you um, fill in a few details like like height I think is one and like what you're looking for in terms of like whether you want kids at some point if you smoke if you drink alcohol that sort of thing but then there's in terms of the bio stuff it's more of they give you a prompt and you have to fill in an answer to this sort of prompt slash question um, so it kind of encourages a bit more of a um, like you to bring out your personality I guess. Do, you, do you think that's more of, of a more productive way of setting up something like that whereas uh, sort of alternatively to Tinder where it, it can be kind of difficult to see what what people are looking for, what people want. Would you think that there's perhaps more room for people being successful in finding what they're looking for on a site like that compared to Tinder? Maybe a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, the chances of of that being higher are you know aren't very high. You know, as in I, I think that <clears throat> it, it's still it's like fast food dating, isn't it? Like it's you still on Hinge, you can still just like someone based on a picture. Um, and I think there is a, there's uh, at least, I, I think this is probably maybe more so, uh, more likely with, with men, but I think it's probably more likely that, that people would just want to quickly open the app, swipe through a few people quickly and then leave it for, for the day or something. And 
rather than actually spend time trying to think about I don't know who might who might uh, why is that more common them? for men like do you think that men typically do that more often than women who might spend longer on the app shorter attention spans uh, would be for me like I've been in that position before where I've used tinder and I've used it maybe for like a week and a half and it like intensely matched with a few people maybe you know had a couple of conversations but perhaps found them a little bit boring and that they haven't really given me what I was looking for in terms of you know like wanting to form a connection with somebody and then maybe not put as much effort in as I would do if I actually knew that person into having a conversation or finding more about them because the, the opportunity to go and just continue swiping is there so not I, I think perhaps I, I don't know why men specifically I can't I, I think perhaps um that there is an element of of that there is an element of um not wanting to miss out on anybody that you think might be you know the person that you're looking for that that, that, that might be a possible match so you continue just to swipe const constantly um and then that the perhaps is what 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 are people's intentions when they're using the, the app because for me when i've used tinder the first time i installed tinder it wasn't to find a relationship when i was at, at university and then when i i didn't use it for a period at uni and then when i used it more recently it was to i used it specifically because i wanted to go on dates with people so my intention for using it was to start a conversation find somebody that i enjoyed talking to and then ask them out on a date to go and meet them and, and form you know see if there was any kind of connection in person with that that individual i think perhaps a lot of times people don't have a clear intention as to why they're using the app maybe they're using it because they feel the pressure to to find somebody the pressure to meet somebody because they've got no other recourse it's a lot easier to go on tinder and set up a tinder profile than it is to start a conversation with somebody in a bar or in a coffee shop or whatever um so maybe people don't really know why they're using the apps and then that leads to that um apathy you know throughout the, the period that they're they're using it i have maybe like a theory perhaps okay so like in terms of interpersonal relationships in the real world right when you are a an afab assigned female at birth you're a feminine person etc right and you are you are taking those steps to go and interact with men in the real world right there is a pre-established risk right a physical risk to violence right that whether it's perceived or not is something that you have to take into consideration when you are talking to people right so often is the case it will have to be the, the man who steps up and initiates those kind of contacts right whereas on tinder and hinge and bumble and those sorts of things men and women have a sort of equal playing ground in terms of being able to step forward make those connections with people and not have any risk of feeling in danger or feeling attacked does that make sense like yeah, I, I think sure. that would be the reason is that maybe men find it more difficult to do that in person perhaps i'm not sure i don't i think it's about the way that you do it if you're a man and i think there are a lot of men who don't know how to initiate conversations i think there are a lot of men who wouldn't know how to particularly initiate a conversation that they wanted to turn flirty or romantic in a way that wasn't creepy i think that there are genuinely a lot of men out there who lack the skills or the social skills to be able to have a normal conversation with a woman whether that be in the workplace whether that be out and about whether that be with friends there is there i think 
you know, there are a lot of, there is a lot of anxiety that comes with that. So first of all, there's shyness that you have to get over, but then also, you know, knowing how to progress the conversation forward in a romantic way that is respectful. I think there are, there are you're, you're never really taught that. I don't know how you would be, but you're never really taught how to do that. So it's all kind of done by trial and error from a young age in school or whatever. And if you didn't go through that process, then you may not have built those skills to be able to do that as a as an adult, if that makes sense. And I think that's the, the expectation, particularly for perhaps for, for men as adults, that you should know how to do that and you should be good at it. And if you're not, and if you're nervous about it, there is this taboo that you're kind of some somehow less of a man. Um, so I think that that's, I think you're right. Um, but I think that it's perhaps warranted. I think there are a lot of creepy fuckers out there and there are a lot of ways that there are a lot of men who don't know how to, um, to, you know, to go through that process in, in a respectful, in a respectful manner. Yeah. I, I think it, it also though, if we're talking about dating apps, dating apps specifically, there's a difference in the way you interact with people, I think, on dating apps because of how it's done over text, especially. Um, the, the dynamic is completely different than when you would meet somebody in real life or in person because there's just you can't you can't gauge people's body language you can't gauge uh, facial expressions you can't there's no uh, intonation on sentences so you can't gauge sarcasm and and you know uh, sincerity and that sort of thing i think it, it then leads to people i think i myself have difficulty messaging people on dating apps as well because i don't because you're you're uh, i find i'm afraid about how a message might come across if it's read in a certain way or um or you get this you there's this outside uh, sort of pressure of needing to sort of stand out to actually get a reply uh, so you have to your first message counts you know that sort of uh thing it's a massive game and which is why i hate dating apps but <laughs> um but what you were saying, Jack, about that, I mean, I think this whole conversation is, is interesting in terms of, obviously, in terms of um, uh, relationships um, and sort of sexual partners and so on. But uh, going back to the graph, it does, me- there are people, uh, there's quite a bit of discussion in the comments about um, loneliness in general and how um, we are sort of in the midst of a of a loneliness epidemic. That one guy in the, in the top comment mentioned a, a graph, which I managed to find, uh, a chart, sorry, that... Um, shows how people have significantly less friends these days than, than they used to, um, at least meaningful ones that, that last. Um, because uh, I don't know why, actually, but I don't, I'd be interested to know why you guys think in terms of... Uh... I mean, I know why I think that is, but I don't know necessarily a shared sentiment between among the group. Uh, capitalism is my the, the one that I would blame for the disintegrating social fibres that connect us all. Uh, you know, obviously, feudalism times, people lived in communities of tens of people. You were raised by, you know, your grandparents and your aunties and your cousins and you lived among many, many people and you relied upon people to live together. And then the Industrial Revolution happened and we we became smaller and more fu- more functional families of like two parents, mum, dad, and then two kids or two and a half kids, right? The nuclear family. And the focus became you must meet a partner when you're like 18, get married, have a baby, go to work, 
and then that's 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 your life right and then you may be allowed to socialize on the evenings on the weekends perhaps right but there's very little time for that you are stuck within your routine and you there's there's no room to have friendships in that particular type of environment and i think that's really clear when you look at places like japan right the fertility rate is at the it's at the point where it's it's, it's below replacement levels okay so because of their 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 work focused nature in society in their culture and society there's very little time to meet people and to be romantic and find friendship and love and that has a real life consequence mm. this is um, no, I can agree more. I something can agree that i uh, found an article as well that's talking about a loneliness specifically in men um and how it's sort of apparently more more prominent um and a lot of the reason for that is because of them pursuing external success over relationships and they end up finding themselves in later life with success in some cases but no actual um relationships or, or few relationships um there's another comment that i think is quite interesting in the um reddit thread that um suggests that because of the internet there's a there's a wider pool of communities and it's easier to find communities of people that um that uh like the same things as you so you tend to gravitate towards those communities online rather than just make being friends with people you know um whereas before maybe the internet was so prominent people used to just be friends with their next door neighbors or be friends with you know the 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 communities in close proximity to them geographically but just because that was the the only pool of people they really had access to i don't know if that's necessarily true or not but um because it's a comment on reddit but but it's an interesting theory as well no i think i agree with that i think that there's this notion that you can totally curate your own online space for yourself right and that can actually be quite dangerous in terms of not only things like radicalization and the political things right because if you don't see anything past your own your own kind of cohort you can never branch out but also in terms of mindset of people if you are a, you know somebody who feels lonely and negative and you seek out people who are also you know doomers and like negative right you're going to just be kind of perpetuated by that rather than seeing different perspectives and different ideas from different from other people I think it's a bad thing. <clears throat> yeah, I think that that's a, a really interesting point. I like just a couple things to go back to the living standards point. I think it's really pertinent to to, to outline that you you can't have a social life if you can barely afford to pay your bills. You know, you can't be expected to be able to go out and spend money and go out for meals, and go out for bars, and go to events if you're struggling to keep the heating on or to feed your kids. So it's difficult to have a social life when you aren't given the ability to be able to to have one. Um, and, and and when it's difficult to you know living the cost of living is so high and it's so it's so difficult to um, afford those basic necessities that you also expect people to um, live in a society where social lives flourish. You look at the periods in particularly modern history where society has been at its most you would say its most social have been periods of economic boom. We're certainly not in one of those at the moment. So it's it's understandable to see how you know those um, 
why that isn't the the case. I think that there are things within capitalism that we can do to sort of mitigate against those effects. I don't think the whole system would, needs to be overthrown personally, um, but I, I can see why people would think that. I for sure I can see why people would think that. Um, and I think the like sort of atomization of society is a really interesting point as well. Somebody I think in that thread said that we're simultaneously the most connected but the most alone. And I think that that's really pertinent. I think that oftentimes it can feel like you can pick up the phone and you can see people's thoughts or you can direct message somebody straight away or, or whatever. It's, it's easier than ever to um, quote unquote connect with somebody, but you're not really connecting with someone, you know, your friends, connection, forming bonds, forming friendships, that's done in person. And it can't, you can't replace that by, I, I would, I would argue with virtual only virtual connection sitting on social media all day isn't going to give you the ability to um replace what you would have in a strong friendship with somebody in your community that you can meet up with that you can spend time with that you can form connections with and form a bond with and i think that we have been kind of conned into thinking that those virtual social spaces can replace real life social spaces and therefore we don't need the real life social spaces and i don't think that's the case at all um, I would say that the opposite is true. I think that it can supplement it, and I think it's important. I think you can meet new people and find find out new things and meet people that you would never dream of meeting or speak to people that you never dream of speaking to. The podcast that we've done previously, a testament to that. But And, and they were a massive help during the pandemic when we couldn't go out and, and see people in real life. But as soon as I was had the ability to get out of the house, I was out. <laughs> you know, I was seeing my friends that I hadn't seen in a year. And... Um, was lucky enough to be able to do so so I, I think that it's you know important to give people the means to be able to do that and then encourage them to to do that as well and provide the spaces for people to to do that um and 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 also for men i don't know why it's specifically for men i can't put my finger on that um perhaps there is an element of the success thing perhaps there is an element of the work thing but i think that's perhaps different for our generation um i don't know uh, particularly mine uh, obviously people work hard and but i would say that our generation is quite sociable or at least the people that i know maybe it's it, that's not the case you know more widespread i'd be interested to know what you both think about that <clears throat> um i do i wonder if it's in part well something we've mentioned before on the podcast that the sort of i wonder if it's something to do with how um it, there's a tendency for men to find it more difficult to open up I wonder if it's um, a case of they have just as many opportunities as women do to to make uh, strong connections with people, but it takes them longer to open up. So, which means that those chances are more fleeting. I don't know. Uh, something to do with with that, maybe. There's probably lots yeah. of different like potential reasons or factors. Sorry, can't remember. It's okay. It could be a situation in terms of, like, you know, I don't know if this is something that you guys experience personally, but when I was growing up, I was, like, quite online all the time. And then when I encountered people who had different perspectives and different uh, belief systems that I did, I was quite shocked to find it. I was like, whoa, who are these people? I'd never seen them before. And it's like, in the online space, you have feminism and you have equality and you have the opportunity to kind of push for men's mental health and men's rights and and topics that might not be discussed as often are kind of more at the forefront when you step out into the into the real world right you still have generations of people who don't see it that way who don't behave that way and 
maybe there's a disconnect there causes quite i don't know maybe a level of discomfort perhaps because even though we have feminism we have this equality for all the sexes all the genders right there are still people out there who don't believe that and don't see it that way and when you are forced to live in both those worlds that kind of cognitive dissonance can have a really negative impact i think this is a similar argument that i've heard for for people so for example somebody like um i would say jordan peterson would argue or would make that the equality movement, he would suggest equality movements were a great, he'd say something like equality movements are great, but dangerous, which I don't agree with. But his point is that the impact of that, when you speak to, to men, particularly young white men who say uh, from an educational perspective, particularly in this country are performing very badly um, in, in schools. When you say to them that they're, they're incredibly privileged and, um, they have far more opportunities than anybody else and their lives are easier than anybody anybody else's. But they, they are when they are also struggling and can't see that that world, that leads to that feeling that, that you're you're describing of a, a, being cut off from society, a disconnect from society, being left behind. I would, you know, not necessarily agree with the impact with, with the reasoning behind that, but I would agree that there are large sections of society that can't see that we're living in the best time to be alive ever which is a trope that's pulled out all the time you know i don't think it's necessarily got anything to do with skin color or gender i think that there is there are it's it's a difficult time to live so when you're simultaneously being shown or being told that you need to be flourishing you need to be working hard and that everything needs to be going your way and there's this you know success is all around us we're constantly comparing ourselves to everything and and that doesn't relate to you in in the slightest when your life is difficult and things aren't going your way and they're hard and you're you're surrounded by this all the time i think it can be, become easy to to isolate yourself and to cut yourself off because you don't relate to anything that's that's happening and then that leads to loneliness of course because you don't have anybody around you or you don't see anybody that you can relate to um and when we're looking at, at loneliness that that psychology today article that, that brett referenced earlier loneliness has a um a similar health impact to lifelong smoking somebody that has a, a, a healthy relationship life so a healthy social life has longevity a life longevity up to 20 percent more than somebody who would be classified as lonely that's fucking dangerous we're talking about like serious serious health risk to people through through this it's not something that's going to go away anytime soon and it's not something that's um doesn't have any repercussions you know these are dangerous um topics that 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 we're looking at and things that need to be mitigated against you know something that andrew yang argued for or, or sort of brought into the the conversation in the last election was universal basic income one of the arguments behind universal basic income was that you give people the opportunity at the very least to be able to cover their expenses cover the things that they need or give them a little boost to be able to go out to the pub every week that would, you know, and that has a massive impact on people's lives, has a massive pe- impact on people's social lives. I, I would argue that people are more productive when they've got, I, I'm certainly more productive when I've got a healthy social life. I'm more productive when I can go to the gym. I'm more productive when, um, keep talking. I'm more productive when I, you know, can eat, go out f- to, to a restaurant. I'm more productive when I can eat better food, food that's healthier for me. When you give people that security and that blanket, um, and that foundation, their lives are going to be better and they're going to have more more opportunities. And a, a lot of the time people don't have that. So I think like you mentioned earlier, Rhiannon, it comes down to fundamentally 
the fact that people don't even have the starting point to be able to live their lives effectively or to have a social life that leads to all of these factors that then impact you know people dying earlier fundamentally 100 percent, i absolutely agree and the difference is you know 30 years ago if you were feeling like this right you were you were by yourself and you felt like this but you can go outside and you can go hang out with your mates right whereas now you are on your phone 24 7 and you are seeing other people curating their lives telling the world that they are doing so great and then you're like well great so i'm the only person here that's suffering everybody else is doing fantastic why am i even bothering rather yep. than remembering that that's not true it's not accurate people's people's lives on social media are not totally legitimate they have to curate and design it to be a specific way but it's hard to remember that it's the same with like body image as well like if you see like if you're like a, a young man on like instagram and you see this like really hench dude in the gym like every single day it's really hard to remember that that's not the expectation that you should be following just because they've, you know, spent their entire life dedicated to that particular body image. Doesn't mean yeah. that that's what you should be doing. But if you see it 24-7, it's going to get into your head. It's going to start undermining how you think about things. For sure. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I think um, the comparison point is really important and it comes back to the relationships element as well, you know we're constantly looking at, at relationships whether it be celebrity relationships or whether it be relationships on social media couple influences you know that, that seemingly have these perfect lives they never argue there's there's never nights where they're sat in in their pajamas watching the tv you know that they, they they're always out doing something they've got this incredible house and you know they're always going on holiday and all of this stuff so there's that idyllic sense of what a relationship should be and if you don't have that in in some way you're failing and when it's easier than ever to hop on tinder and go oh, i can just find somebody that might be able to give me that perhaps there isn't that um understanding of what a healthy relationship is first and foremost but also about you know working and, and cultivating like you were saying a relationship and putting effort into it and um you know working to create something that is yours and unique and that you're happy in and not living by somebody else's false standards. And I think that that's perhaps the sense that we, we lose as well when we're looking at, at relationships or, or at friendships, that there is always something better out there. The grass is always greener. Um, and when there's that, when that sort of pressure is put on you, you're never going to be happy. Probably worth... Um, Sorry, go on. No, carry on. I was just going to say it's probably worth also re remembering that these influencers that appear to have such perfect perfect lives on Instagram or whatever probably suffer pretty badly from various mental health issues as well, whether that be yeah. loneliness or whatever. Because, yeah. well, I mean, I, like there are people that I follow that spend that seem like they spend so much time coming up with ideas for Instagram and and so on to portray their lives that there's I, I don't know, it it would surprise me if they didn't also have, you know suffer loneliness or or whatever from off the back of that we all do we all do that's the thing that's the, the thing when we, we're having these conversations where when we always talk about mental health we all have mental health mental health isn't something that comes and goes it's constantly it's a, a, a spectrum of how you're you're feeling and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not great and we all we're all across that spectrum all the time the same with loneliness I, i've got a group of 
friends that I've had since I was 11 years old. We've been mates since year seven in secondary school. I'm incredibly lucky to have them. I've got, I'm, I'm really close with my family. I'm, you know, everybody within, get on really well with everybody in the company. I know that I've, there's numerous people that I could call at any time of the day to speak to. I still get lonely. I still feel loneliness at times when, you know, I want to go out and everybody's busy. I still get a bit lonely. It's not something that none of us ever feel or should never feel. It's something that is is there and it's about having the structures in place to, to be able to say, I'm feeling a little bit lonely tonight because everyone's busy, but it's not the end of the world because I'm lucky enough to have X person that I can call tomorrow or, or whatever. And those kind of protections and those foundations, it exists in all of us. And it's about giving people the, the opportunity to get out of that. I remember being at university first and second year and not really having much of a social life, probably the time in my life where I had the, the least social life going on. And I was intensely lonely and it had a massive effect on my you know, my studies, my well-being, my eating habits, you know, I I was at the time smoking a lot of weed at university and that was, became a crutch for me. Um, So it it impacts your life in profound ways, that that feeling. Um, I would like dip in and out of uh, really intense highs, like I'm going to turn my life around next week and then the next week be back down and oh, I feel like shit because I haven't done that because I'm setting the bar way too high. You know, it, it really impacts on people's mental well-being, and when they're not given the the knowledge as to how to to get out of that, you can be stuck in that uh, mindset in in perpetuity for your life. And it's it's easy to see how how people do get stuck in that in that way, but also easy to see how it has such a big effect on people's um, health as well. It, it reminds me a little bit of some work we did in an undergrad in sociology and it was about the lifetime of men's functionality within society right which sounds really like prescriptive and it's talking about throughout the like lifespan of a male individual right you have certain expectations that are put upon you and if you look at the specific suicide rates for men in the uk in particular you have two kind of high areas obviously you have when they're like young early 20s right as a really high level of suicide rates for young men but also as they get really um, get older as well and they become elderly men and that's kind of indicators of where in society your life changing and having those shifts so when you're at university it's a really big deal it's absolutely terrifying you are thrown into the universe and expected to kind of sink or swim right it's it's was one of one of the loneliest parts of my life as well. When I was in university, I hated it. I had very little interaction. My mental health was terrible, right? But also, as soon as you kind of travel through life and look, okay, I'm trucking along now, I can have a, a, a job, a career, a house, a home, family, a pet dog, or whatever. And then when you get to be an elderly man, suddenly you are useless to society, right? You are treated as if you don't matter. You can't take care of the children because that's the woman's job, right? So you're not allowed to be close to your grandchildren and your family members. You can't go to work because your body is not able to work anymore. So at every kind of point in time, if you are not functioning to the best of your ability, if you're not working hard, the grind set, right? If you're not fulfilling your role properly, that's going to have a massive impact on your mental health. And I think that the internet, social media, 
it kind of heightens that feeling yeah. that you are not good enough and that you are not performing to the best of your ability because everybody else is everybody else is doing the best all the time, 24-7. And you never see their, their dark moments. You never see them crying in their bedroom at three in the morning because they got two likes on an Instagram post, you know? Like, it's such a skewed perspective. And it's, it's a big explanation for why we have things like the insult community and we have groups of young men who find themselves in like disenfranchised from society to the point where they hate it and they hate to be associated with it. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I, no, I couldn't agree more. And university is a really interesting example or a really good example. I think of um, an environment that you're put in where you're told you should thrive. And so many people don't dropout rates are so high. Um, and, and, you know, particularly for men, mental health problems in university, incredibly high, particularly for men this the pressure that you have on you to have a really really flourishing functioning social life and sex life at university are huge these things are around you constantly you know if, if you've been on campus you'll know particularly in freshers week you, there's you know offers for clubs you're encouraged to go out and get slaughtered every night you're there's this sort of environment where you're pressured into you know having having sex you're um encouraged to you know do initiations if you've joined a society that you might be incredibly uncomfortable doing it's the first time you've ever been independent it's the first time probably that you've ever been away from your parents it's a really volatile environment where there's all these social pressures and if you don't identify with that and if you don't fit in with that or if for whatever reason you fall by the wayside you're pretty it's fairly easy to get cut off from the university ecosystem and i definitely had that um that experience particularly in my first year like the first sort of half of my first year of feeling like jesus christ i don't fit in anywhere here for the first time in my life be you know being lucky enough to have always been pretty confident and pretty social and always never struggled to have friends or never struggled to feel like i fit in anywhere for the first time in my life at 18 in a time where i had lots of expectations about what university life was going to be like going bloody hell this is difficult i haven't got anybody <laughs> you know it's hard um and i think a lot of people feel like that and it's very very easy to go down an incredibly slippery slope in that sort of environment i think i don't know if you had a similar experience bro yeah in my first year i did yeah i remember sort of not wanting to really go to all these big uh freshers events in and i don't think i did go to many of them in my first year um i went to like some of the like introductionary society events um but left before everybody then went on to get slaughtered um because at that point i wasn't drinking at all so um it wasn't something i wanted to do but that's an interesting point mate like sorry to, to, to cut you off but if you don't drink what is there for you to do i didn't yeah, drink I, that, I the first time i i'd not drank at all in my life until i uh the Christmas of my first year of uni. So I went through freshers in the first like four months, not drinking at all, which meant that in one of the, the biggest binge drinking cultures, it, you're probably in the world. <laughs> which meant that I didn't really, I like, uh, I luckily made a few friends in halls, uh, that, uh, obviously wasn't focused around drinking, but that didn't happen straight away. I thought that was yeah. something that was like throughout the year. I made a few friends here and there and, made course mate friends of eventually but didn't really stick with them either but didn't participate very much yeah in the uh 
the society stuff until my mm. second and third years. Well, that's the, I wasn't in halls either, so I didn't. I like was was ill before like, in the application process. Was in hospital and didn't apply for halls, and then had to move into a house. And I was lucky that I was in a house with a, a couple of, of people I knew from school. They were friends, but um, they weren't like massively social, particularly like going like going out social social. Um, so not having that halls experience either added to that. Um, yeah, it's 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 a hard period, and if you don't identify with any of those any of that culture i think that it's it can be difficult it's weird because like i was in halls and i was drinking at the time and i still felt really lonely mm. all the time i felt really isolated i yeah. ended up skipping out on drinks to raid in world of warcraft and stuff right i was like i don't want to do this anymore um maybe because i was a queer person and i was hiding that i didn't want people to know who i was because they judged me i was terrified of people thinking things about me that i couldn't you know fix right but like that pressure to like drink all the time is exhausting mm, like but maybe I'd, maybe i don't want to go and get pissed maybe i want to just have a nice evening. <laughs> one, I would say that uh, I think it's pretty obvious. I think one of the main reasons why people drink so much in uni is because they're nervous or scared or don't know how to socialize otherwise. It reduces yeah. that, uh, you know, that that fear. Yeah. And having a few drinks, and then they end up only being able to socialize in that way. But and then if you're only socializing when you've had eight pints you're going to do it really badly and you're going to do stuff that's oftentimes, especially if you're a lad, especially if you're in that environment, especially if you're around girls, especially if you feel really pressured, that's when people do stuff that's really fucked up. And I would argue that stuff is within everybody. Everybody has the the possibility of being in an environment where they do that. And it's about ensure, educating yourself and ensuring yourself that, that you, you never, ever, ever do. But I, I defy anybody that if they're a guy that they haven't been in an environment when they've seen somebody do something inappropriate on a night out 100% they have and I, I bet that's often down to alcohol often down to the environment that's created particularly with guys when they've been drinking when you're in big groups drinking so if that's the only way that you're socializing and the only time that you're socializing that's not productive it's not sustainable and then, like you were saying, you get into that loop where you feel... I remember we had that time in third year, Brett, where we didn't drink for, you know, yeah. a month or whatever. And yeah, we, I remember me being a bit more successful than you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but going out and um, it being... People kind of being a bit weird about it, you know, especially with, you know, you, you'd get a water. Yeah. And people would be like, what are you doing? Not at least get a Diet Coke or Staying something. hydrated. To, to... No, no, no. Water, <laughs> wait, then I'm not spending money either, so... <laughs> amazing yeah i just i think that even even if it's not like bad behavior like doing creepy stuff right even just having a, a friendship and a relationship based on this persona of alcohol is yeah, gonna it's gonna foster unhealthy relationships because that, at the end of the day the person who is drunk is not the real you right the person you are when you've had like free vodkas and a bottle of lamborghini you know dancing around the nightclub is not the same person who's waking up at half nine every day to go to work or to do, go to lectures and you know they don't care about the same things and if you have a friendship or a relationship based entirely on that it's destined to fail i don't even know if i i don't even know if it would if, if you can have like proper friendships that are based entirely around that 
if you don't do anything but go to a club you can't have a chat with somebody or learn about them if you go to a club like you can have a good time obviously but if the only time you see somebody is in a nightclub you know is that i don't know if that is that friendship i don't know maybe it is <laughs> it's <but>, friendship <laughs> but i would say that like you know for, for a, when i think of my closest friends i, I think about spending like actually spending time with them you know getting to know them whatever like go go have conversations that kind of thing if your social life is hinged around you going out on a friday and saturday if you're in portsmouth to astoria yeah i mean i was gonna say like i remember in uni where there's definitely people that we only ever saw on nights out yeah like never saw them beforehand and it always seemed like they were just always on nights out um how could you how, i don't i don't understand how you can make proper friends in, in that way or yeah no I neither do I. Uh, but th- that's the thing if if that's the way that you know your social life is constructed when you are feeling down or you want to go to get a coffee with somebody do you have the ability to be able to do that if the only thing that you do is you go to the nightclub who do you ring at night or yeah. 10 o'clock at night or whatever or 9 o'clock when you're feeling a bit sad who do you talk to like you don't have the ability to be able to do that because you haven't formed those kinds of bonds with people um and like you say we don't live in communities anymore like we like there used to be where you're put in the position where you can form those you know those friendships i i remember feeling i live in a village quite a small village and when I was at primary school, it was very much that feeling of, you know, my best friend was the, the kid that lived down the road and we were in a group with the t- two other people that lived down the road and we'd all meet up after school and whatever. Like, there was very much that feeling. But as soon as we went to secondary school, that was done. It was over. You know, we didn't speak to each other anymore. So your friends all the way through primary school and then bang, it's, you know, cut off. We'll see each other walking down the street every now and then and nod. But <laughs> apart from that, there's nothing so as you kind of grow up and you move away and stuff uh, you know the world perhaps is more you know like not globalized necessarily but you know i've gone off to to university somebody might have moved away up north or somebody might move to you know to wales or whatever you don't stay in contact whereas we lived in communities i suppose i don't know when this uh graph started in 89 i think yeah so previously to that where people were more likely to stay in one place or stay in sort of more localized for their entire lives so you know the person the person you went to school with still lives down the road when um when you're 50 you know to be fair sorry just uh i just realized that something we haven't sort of acknowledged is that it is probably also more acceptable to say you're lonely nowadays than it was in 89 so I don't know if that's had an effect at all on, on why, and especially considering that mental health in itself is talked about more, especially over the last five years. I think it's been quite an increase. Um, in and I suppose you, you could have, you can be, you could, you could say that you're not lonely and not have a sexual partner. Yes. True. Yeah. This isn't loneliness, actually. That's true. This is yeah, yeah sexual partners. Yeah, I've forgotten what the, <laughs> the graph is about. <laughs> But yeah. Not that there isn't a loneliness epidemic, which I definitely think there is, but the, sure. I think that they connect, right? I yeah. would say that the reasons contributing towards the lack of you know sexual activity before the age of 30 and loneliness would be similar because the way that you form a sexual relationship with somebody is very similar to the way that you would make a friend. 
Um, Actually, since you mentioned the fact that, you know, high invalidity in this sort of data, right? You have the advent of contraception and you have the advent of like divorce without cause and the ability for women to divorce their husbands before this period of time, but the popularity increased steadily, right? So before 89, people would have a a husband or a wife consistently throughout their entire lives and they'd die together, right? They'd be having sex, right? That's typically what would happen. They'd have babies, right? So as we move away from those stereotypical like relationships where you stay stay together forever, and that's your ride or die, right? People are breaking off and becoming single. People are better looking for better things quicker in relationships rather than sticking mm. it out for better or for worse. And typically, the case would be that people are single more often, and that's why they're not having as much sex after the, you know after that age anymore. True. Though, though the incline in this graph is very dramatic between like yeah. 2012, 2013 and 2018. Yeah, there's so obviously multiple factors yeah, influencing sure. this, I right? what you're saying. But, but I genuinely do think that it would be interesting to think about the relationship. Like if, we, if you could go further back in time with this graph, right, and look at the data before 1989, what would be the, the people, people's responses in that time? when they were all married off and paired off in the summer of love and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. I I just wonder how much this has increased through the pandemic. Oh, yeah, Yeah, 100%. A lot, I would say. And and particularly post-pandemic world, how much is this going to continue to to increase? Because Mm -hmm. I would say that social skills are something that you have to nurture. You know, it's a skill. It's something that you have to practice and grow at. And, um, you know, you learn ways to be sociable. Many, many, many people haven't had the ability to do that. So you lose those skills, I think. I definitely did out of the pandemic, even if it was a little bit. We were lucky enough to be talking to have a structured conversation for an hour or, more, or an hour and a half every week um, in the podcast and, and obviously working and stuff. You, um, if, you, if you lose that, you, you don't have, you're not taught how to have proper conversations or how to socialize properly in the first place, but then you don't have the ability to practice that as a young person if you're supposed to be going to university, you're not even on campus, how much is this going to increase now and, and what is being done to ensure that people do have healthy social lives, friendships? Um, because, you know, like we're, like it has been recognised, it, it has major effects. It's something that governments should be thinking about is how to cultivate countries, create countries where people can have flourishing social lives because it's dangerous if they don't. The incel example is a, is a really good one as well. You know, it's, these are dangerous communities that are being formed off the back of loneliness um, in order to combat that loneliness. Uh, but there, there are dangerous ideas that underpin these communities. So you have to find ways to attack the root cause. Should we uh, end it there? We've been going yeah, for about really an hour. Interesting, really interesting, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Good stuff. I'll, I'll do another okay. like an outro at some point, separately so we don't have to do it here. But yeah. Cool. That was good. Yeah. Thanks, Rhiannon. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like this new format where we bring on team members to talk about topics that we're particularly interested in or that we're currently covering, then uh, please, please feel free to let us know. Um, likewise, if you'd like to see more episodes with guests that we can uh, contact or bring on, then please also let us know if, if there's any guests in particular you'd like to see on. 
we'd be very interested to hear. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, DGNOfficial underscore, or you can go to our website at www.demographicuk.com. Please keep your eyes peeled for the next episode coming very soon.